Hey, Coffee Breakers. I'm AC. And I'm Scully. And, and I'm taking over. <laughs> again. You, yes, she's taking over again. And today, for your listening pleasure, we have a complicated one for you. Yes. This was actually a listener recommendation as well as Scully's idea. So, Scully is taking over, and I'm going to do my best to keep up. I tried. Yes. So, this is the Girl in the Picture, a Netflix documentary that I came across. And, yeah, it's it's something. Let me just start. I mean, it's a lot. So, yeah. let's dive in and let's go. Okay. So, at the very beginning of the documentary, it starts with April 19th. April of 1990. Um, it talks, it's somebody talking, I think it's like the officer talking about, they saw there's debris on the side of the road. There's a young blonde girl on the side of the road. That's very clearly been hit um, by a vehicle. She's rushed to the hospital. And after that, a much older husband um, named Clarence came in and that he, he claims he's the husband, and they have a son, Michael. He's there with Michael. The It's a detective. That's who's talking it. Because he said, Clarence showed up, and he's a weird guy. That's what he said. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting. So while they're working on, uh, her name is Tanya. He comes in and identifies her as Tanya. Um, when they're working on her, they see, like, a lot of old injuries, like old bruises, just a bunch of different healing scars right in various stages of healing yes that's what i was trying to get at clear indications of abuse yes and then in the beginning of the documentary it says she dies oh yeah it just no yeah she was in the hospital for about five days i believe is what the documentary said oh i don't even know what the documentary says but during the documentary she dies yes but it was it took a while she didn't die immediately that night like no. it was a couple days yeah it, i don't think it fully says in a documentary. It, it, it just says she dies right after karen comes and visits and yes i'm getting into all of that yeah yeah so at this time tanya hughes is her name she was a stripper at a local um dance club named passions she was estimated to be about 20 years old correct um, she is a dancer at Passion. So the other girls that danced with her wanted her to, wanted to notify her family, like wanted them to know, hey, you know, your daughter has passed away. So they reach out. Apparently they pulled like a phone book. It kept showing a phone book. So that tells you this is like older. This is the, this is 90s. Yes. <laughs> this is 90. And they're going through and they track down, I guess, so many hues. They start calling and they get what they believe is her mother. And they're like, hey, wanted to let you know your daughter just passed away. That lady was like, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, your daughter just, she died. We wanted you to know. She's like, my daughter died when she was 18 months old. Like, you have the wrong person. Right. And that is where this thing just completely unravels. And it unravels. But it's a slow unravel. It is. So in the documentary, it takes you to Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1989. And that's when you meet Karen. Mm -hmm. Karen is another dancer at Passions. She talks about their friendship. She talks about how she was really young and Tanya was really young. So they were like the the little ones of the dancers. They were the babies. The babies. And that they just became instant BFFs. They right. said that Tanya, she said Tanya was a lot like her, that she was really smart and read a lot. And they just weren't like your typical, like um, Karen was actually in college. Yeah, at the like, time. Both just going places. Yeah. Um, she talks about her son, Michael, and how he was two years old at this time. And that 
he he would come to the club and that that he would just look at his mama like just love and she loved him and she said you could just see that but what was weird is Clarence the husband would never ever let Tanya take Michael anywhere alone right Karen talked about how she would say hey let's take him to the zoo and Tanya would be like no 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 no, no, no. we can't do that yeah and she let's see I try to where are your notes at? My notes are here. So she talks about, you know, as you're um, dancing and they would use the changing rooms yes. that she would see um, old, like, bruises all over her, her, like, just, she knew it was a bad situation. Yeah, she asked her about it and she would always say, like, she fell or I she fell. hit something yeah. and she said, we all knew, like. Right. Um, she did say that Tanya had told her that Warren had taken out Clarence. Uh, Cl- Clarence, my bad, Clarence had taken out a life insurance policy on her. And she was scared. And she was scared. Um, so Clarence, on April the 25th, actually called Karen mm-hmm. and told her about the hit and run. Yeah. Um, and said that she's not allowed to have any visitors. And in the documentary, I don't know, I, I'm sure you saw it, but it shows like the mock. Um, Clarence um, writing no visitors no visitors and put on the door of her room and Karen said that was really weird because they were really good friends and Tanya had not stated anything to her about going out of town right because she got hit in Oklahoma City they danced in Tulsa I'm not exactly sure the relation but the way that they made it sound was it's far apart yeah like you know that it was far enough that she would have assumed she would have said something to right. her. It was out of character. Right. Um, and then it cuts to Dr. Charles Engel, and he talks about, you know, a female came in with a medium-severe head injury. She was put into the ICU. The husband did the no-visitors thing. Um, and that, you know, even though she was hit, she was in, she was still in pretty good shape for right. someone, who, someone who had suffered this hit-and-run. Mm-hmm. And then he says that um, she had what the, he called a sinking spell. Yeah. And then he even says in the documentary, it's a mystery to him. Right. And then she just went downhill. Yeah. And there was nothing that they could do. Nothing that they tried worked. Right. And Karen talked about how when <sighs> she went in, and I have so many issues with this part. When she went in to see her, even after the no visitors thing, mm-hmm. she says like the nurses were telling her this is foul play. Like they did not believe from the beginning at all that this was natural. Right. She talks about scratches across the front of, of her chest. Of her yes. chest. And she's like, that's what stood out to me. Like someone had clawed her. Right. And mm-hmm. she was like, it was just very, very weird. Yeah. Um, and she said at that time they didn't know who she was. So when they went to bury her, they just put Tanya. Right, because they didn't know who she was, and they literally just put Tanya on her tombstone, which I thought was heartbreaking. Yeah, and then this is my major bone-picking area. I've already went over this with you. You know this, but Karen says it was at that point that, like, the nurses there walked her through the process to call DHS, which is, like, Department of Social Services. but Child I, Protection. Yes, Child Protective. And they immediately pulled Michael and put him in a foster home. According to the documentary, mm-hmm. that's what happened. And he was placed in Choctaw, Oklahoma. Yes. Um, with Merle and Ernest Bean. They yes. were his foster parents. And it was interesting to me because, like, 
there's discrepancies and maybe and i told you this like if you do the book there's a book on this like there's just some stuff that just doesn't seem to there's some stuff there's a little bit of different stuff and yeah. we are actually going to do a deep dive this is most likely going to be a three-parter because yeah. it is such a complicated story and we want to make sure that we do have all the facts right um so but right now we're just going off what the documentary yes. is saying so we're back we're to the beams i think i thought there were beams are they beam or bean Bean, like bean. like okay. pinto bean. So he was put with them when he was two, correct? He was two. He was two. And years he old. was with them for four years. They got him May first of nineteen ninety. Um, she said in the documentary that mom had died the day before. Right. I thought the mom died on the twenty fifth. That's when. Um, or she was hit. That's on the when 25th. he. All we know is that's when husband called Karen. Okay, so Merle, I think is her first name, Bean? Yeah, Merle and Ernest Bean. She says that when she got him, she was told by DHS that he's still in the bottle and he can only have Pepsi. Which, what? Right. I was he's like, two. What you mean he can only have yes. Pepsi? Um, then Ernest says that if you told him no, that he mm -hmm. would just become hysterical. Hysterical. And they talked about how he would raise his head way up off the ground and like just slam it. Like they were scared he was literally going to hurt himself. Right. She said, he also said he was messed up, but he was a good kid. Yeah. Um, she said day one, she took him off the bottle. Yeah. And she took him off the Pepsi and she <laughs> gave him a cup of milk. Yes. Get him off the Pepsi. He's too. What's wrong with you? And the bottle. I mean, I don't really care. I mean, I understand that they need to be off the bottle. Yeah. I'm way more concerned about, about the Pepsi. He can do Pepsi. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, she said that that first night, you know, it was a little rough, but by the end of the week that he had settled and he was doing well and he was a different kid. Yeah. Um, they said that during this time that he had to do, because it was assumed, they talk about this in the documentary, that Clarence was dad. So he was required to do these visitations with Michael him. was required. Michael was required to do these visitations with Clarence. He pushed for them. Yes, he did. Um, in the documentary, like it actually shows Clarence like talking to the court and stating like perceived abuse or neglect. Like I was dealing with the loss of my wife and like just because you think these things doesn't make it factual. Like to me it's just very smug and just It is very smug and just I, now knowing what I know, the audacity. Yeah, and I guess that's maybe where I'm coming from. Because at the time I was like, I don't know, I still thought he was skeevy. So I still felt the same way. Yeah. But anyway, he's fighting to have him back so that he's required to do these visits with him. Michael is. Um, Merle says that every time they would tell him, you know, you got to go visit Clarence, he would like hide under the piano bench and say that mean man, that mean man, like over and over again. They said he never had a good day when he had to go see Clarence. Right. Um, at this point, the whole thing is assumed he's dad. So they're like, let's get a paternity test to verify. Turns out Mr. Clarence is not biologically related to this child whatsoever. whatsoever. Zero. Yeah. So they terminated his rights then. Right then. Um, that same week. Okay. A pickup truck started coming by the beans house, beans house. Merle says she calls DHS and tells them, can you tell me what kind of truck Clarence drives? Because I'm seeing this truck come around the house. They told her, she said, I'm sure this is him. 
she claims that DHS told her she's paranoid and just like get over it. And basically brushed it off. Just disregarded her. Which is a big problem. Yes. So it jumps to September 12th, 94, 1994. Yeah. And it is, I think his name is assistant, is assistant chief Billy Carter. He was one of the investigators. Yeah. He talks about how he got a report of a man tied to a tree in the woods. That man's name was James Davis. He was the principal of an elementary school in the area. Okay. Mr. Clarence Hughes had walked into that school with a gun, went to the principal, told the principal that he wanted to pick up his son and that he was going to help him do that. And took him, it says by gunpoint, to Michael's classroom, got Michael and the principal, and they left in his truck. In the principal's truck. In the principal's truck. So they say that it was done by gunpoint, and it was, but the gun was not visible. I know, but when you tell me gunpoint, I, I, you I, see it. Yeah, I see it in my head. Like, yeah, yeah like Clarence walking behind this dude like with gun to his, to his head. head. Yeah, or no. his back. But, yeah, apparently that's not how it was. It was, he was very discreet. So basically, he had it like in his pocket or his jacket pocket, and like pulled the principal into his office, showed him the gun, and was very slick with it. It yes. wasn't like what me and you immediately pictured. Yeah. <laughs> so he, it shows like an interview with the principal. Yeah. And the principal says that he was he was told by Clarence, "I'm ready to die, and then if you don't help me, I'm gonna kill you." So after they. Got out of the school. They all got in the principal's truck. He told the principal to go down like this. I feel like abandoned road. It's not really abandoned. It's like a like dirt a road off the road. He gets out of the truck with the principal, ties him to the tree, and duct tapes his mouth. And then him and Michael get back in the truck and leave. It, the principal's truck. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is when the Billy Carter, the chief, like they secured that scene. Mm -hmm. And once that scene was secured, they contacted the FBI. And here comes Joe Fitzpatrick. Joe Fitzpatrick. So he, he is the FBI agent. He's retired now. He had 27 years yeah. worth of um, experience. Oh, yeah. He's like, if there was a kidnapping in yes. this area, it was coming and to me. he said like, he didn't get a lot. Like, there was not a whole lot in Oklahoma. So it was kind of. Yeah. He was the Oklahoma field agent, basically. Surprising. Yeah. Got it. Um, he said that he immediately put out a bolo for Clarence Hughes and the lookout for Michael. He immediately started like digging, trying to find more about him. And mm -hmm. that's when he found out that in, I think, 1990, Clarence had tried to collect his wife's insurance policy. But the social he gave was for a man named Franklin Delano Floyd. Delano. I can't say his middle name. Franklin Delano Floyd. I always want to because it's like the president. Yes. He was Delano. named after Roosevelt. Franklin Delano, Delano. Roosevelt. Yeah. Delano, Delano. Did not live up to the hype. No. And they, that is his real name. So he starts deep diving into him, trying to figure out, all right. So he finds out there's so many aliases for Franklin. He's got Trenton Davis, Warren Marshall, Clarence Hughes. He finds out that he did prison time. Uh, he was in a halfway house. His prison record starts in 1962, I believe, mm -hmm. where he abducted a four-year-old girl, sexually assaulted her. Um, then he went to jail for that. No. Nope. Was going to go. He, he, well, they were looking for him for that. 
robbed a bank in 63. Right. That's when he went. <laughs> That's when, yeah, they caught him. Yes. And he ended up doing, it was supposed to be 10 to 20 years. Yeah. And he only ended up doing 10. Yeah. Because he was released in 72. To a halfway house. To a halfway house. Oh. In 1973, he attacked a female in Georgia, posted bail for that offense, and then failed to appear and was a fugitive at that at that point for almost two decades. Yeah. So he'd been on the run. Since 1973? Because that's when he yeah. attacked the female. It would have been sometime in that year. Yep. So uh, Joe Fitzpatrick is saying that he felt like they had a week at tops. Yeah, that's to what the behavioral science unit told him. To locate Michael um, before he would either get tired of him and just kill him and be done with it. Right. So... It cuts to 1994. Um, yeah. And there was a big news article that was done about Tanya it was all and over Michael the news. Yeah. and Clarence and this whole thing. And a lady called in. She actually said she was sitting there with her mother. And her mother's like, that's Sharon. That's Sharon on the TV. And she's like, what do you mean Sharon's, Sharon's on, on the, the TV? TV. What she do? Like, right. You know. She's like, she's dead. It's a different name, but that's Sharon. So Jenna says she's looking at it, and she realizes that the girl on the TV that they're showing as Tanya Hughes is who she knows as Sharon Marshall, which was her high school best friend. Right. So she calls FBI and tells them this. Um, and then it starts, it takes you all the way back to 1984. Whoop whoop. That's the year I was born. <laughs> and it, it's her talking. It's the documentary crew talking to all her different friends. And they're telling you different things about Sharon. They said that she was in ROTC. She was science club. She was in the gifted class. She wanted to be an aerospace engineer. She was super smart, super nice. They said all her friends were like the outcast underdog type of thing. But she wanted so bad to go to Georgia Tech for that aerospace engineer. Um, and it, they actually talk about how she got in. A full scholarship. A full ride. Yeah. So it's just a lot of that background of them talking about how sweet she was and kind and thoughtful. And like one girl reads from the yearbook about stay quirky or yeah. whatever. Like yeah. it's just really nice stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then the one girl, I didn't catch her name. It's not Jenna. It's another classmate. I wrote it down. Hold on. Uh, th- uh, Sherry Forreston. Okay. She's the one that talks about, they always thought her dad was kind of weird. Yeah. But when she was graduating, her dad took out a when full. she got the full ride scholarship. full ride, yeah. He took out a full page um, ad. In the yearbook. In the yearbook. And was like, look out, Georgia Tech. Um, here's the next. Era. Like, the message was sweet. Yeah. It was like, whatever. But they said the picture was a sexy picture. And I don't really agree with that because it's like a glamour shot. It is a glamour shot. But. You got to put your mindset to the 1984. The glamour shots, was that not a big thing? It was, but not necessarily for high school seniors. Like, I don't know. She it, calls it a sexy pick, and I don't think it's a sexy pick either. It's not super sexy, but it is glamour. Like, we wouldn't consider it sexy at all. I mean, in comparison to what you normally see in a yearbook, which is usually like a bunch of baby pictures, and then like there's one nice, like, senior photo. Right. So I picture that as the one nice senior photo. I guess. I don't take it as like a sexy pick, but I, it's a glamour shot. And if anybody yeah. knows what a glamour shot is, they are designed to be glamorous and look sexy. I don't, I don't know. Y'all watch it and tell me. I don't think it's necessarily a sexy picture. It's, it's a, not overly revealing. No. She's got makeup on and her hair kind of done and she's giving a smoky eye. And 
It's a glamour shot. It's a glamour shot. I think it's inappropriate for a yearbook. I don't know. But to me, it'd be like the senior picture. Like, that would of be the today, one in the middle. But not in... It would have been when I graduated. You, Your mama and daddy would have never let you take a glamour shot for your senior picture. And you know that as well as I do. But mom it, wouldn't. It's this, to me, it's the same equivalent as, like, standing there beside, like, a big open field behind you. And you're all decked out and smiling. To me, it's the same thing. Because it's not... I even feel like that might be more sexy if it's showing your whole body versus, like, her neck up. I just don't, I don't agree that it's a sexy photo, but maybe back then that was like, oh, I don't know. Yes. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> I get off of that. It cuts back to Jenna, the, her BFF from. I have it written down as Jenny. Jenny. It's Jenny, not Jenna. It's right here. It's Jenny. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to do four scumps so bad. <laughs> anyway. She talks about the first time that her parents met who they know, Sharon's dad, who they know as Warren Marshall. And which is actually Frank Floyd. Yes. Um, they said that they were coming, I think they came over to Jenny's house. To meet the parents. And day one, dad asked Jenny's dad for a loan. Yeah. And they were like, no. Like, right. immediately no. What is wrong with you? Um, she talks about how Sharon told her that her mother was hit by a car on a bridge when she was in second grade and she died. Right. She said Sharon was responsible for cooking every night. She couldn't talk on the phone. She said that the only time that she would talk on the phone is if dad wasn't there. Right. And if dad came in, she got super anxious and would be like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go and hang up. She also said like, she would tell him, don't call unless you tell me you're going to call. Right. So she could be there to get it. Um, she called Jenny in the same section where she's telling you all this. Jenny gets a call from Sharon and Sharon tells her she's expecting. She's pregnant. Yeah. And that her daddy's not going to let her go to school now. Um, and Jenny's asking her, like, what are you going to do? That kind of thing. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to have it and I'm going to give it up for adoption, but my dad's not going to let me go now. Right. And she said, well, why? And she said, because somebody's got to take care of daddy. Yeah. what she told her. Um, she said she got a call from Sharon. I, I, it doesn't really say how long later, like I guess a while later, stating they're going to Arizona. She was going to have the baby out there, put him up for adoption because daddy won't let her keep it. Right. And then it jumps. This That was all in 86 where she got those calls and that kind of thing. It right. jumps to 1994 again. This is, it's the same Report about Clarence, well, it was, which we now know as Franklin Floyd mm-hmm. and Michael, and even I guess stuff for Sharon trying to figure out you who know, she is, who she is, like you know, who who is she actually? Yeah, you know. So twenty plus tips came in. Um, Jenny finds out then that Clarence was Warren Marshall, um, the man she knew to be Sharon's dad, Joe. Fitzpatrick tells her not only, I don't even know how to word this, that the man she knows to be Sharon's dad is not her dad. Is not her dad, but not only that, they're married. Right. And Jenny said she had a real hard time yeah, wrapping her like, head around you're that. Not right. This is not, no. No. Yeah. Um, they find out with Tanya that she had a bunch of little aliases too. Yeah. So she was known, let's see, 
I have in here, and I don't know if your notes say the same thing, that a year before her death um, is when she started having the different names. Mm. Like her different aliases. No. Okay, because I have, I just have Tanya had aliases a year before her death, and it said her name was changed. Um, they were taken off tombstones in Alabama. Yeah, because that's where they got the Tanya from, because she was Tanya Dawn Tadlock. So did they get married a year before she died? Yeah, essentially. Okay. okay, so what I have is when they got married, they took the names off the tombstone and then went to New Orleans and, and got, got married. married. And then that's when... And he said he found out she ma- he married his daughter. Because yeah. at this time, they didn't... That's they, they didn't know. They think that's still his daughter. So they had, she had aliases as Tanya Hughes, Tanya Tadlock, Linda Williams, and then... Sharon Marshall. Sharon Marshall. That um, we know of. Yep. And it jumps like a year, I guess. And it's... She's in Tampa Bay, Florida. This is 1998. And she's working at a place called Mom's Venus. The lady talking is a Heather Lane and... I don't know. She just rubbed me all kinds of wrong. I just don't like her. So, to begin with, she rubbed me wrong. But then at the very end, I I understand where the attitude's coming from. See, I don't know. And I'll tell you why a little bit later, why she's still me to me. Okay. She's talking about how Mons Venus was the stripper joint of all stripper joints. Like, that was where you went. Yeah. Like, the most... And that irritated me because she said that not only... We didn't wear lingerie. We wore... French lingerie. lingerie. The best of the best. best. We were the best of the best. Yeah. Um, she said that she remembers when Sharon came in. She said she looked like a living baby doll. Yeah. And she said that even when they were like stripping and stuff, Sharon was never fully nude like the rest of the girls. She always wore like a lace cover up. Right. Um, she said that she used to do, she said she was very shy and she didn't talk much. So Heather set up these parties that she called millionaire parties and at these parties um you danced to three songs there was no lab dances no touching whatsoever and you could walk out making 500 to a thousand dollars in 1988 yeah so a lot of money dad had told her you need to go talk to heather and get in on this stuff so she set her up they went they did one um, she got notified by one of the millionaires, I guess, that yeah. Sharon was outside the bathroom soliciting sex for $50. Right. And when asked about it, she said, my dad told me to do it, and he bought me condoms. Yeah, which it's just, ugh. Yeah. Anyway. So then she talks about how when Tanya, Sharon started, she she didn't know she was pregnant, but it came apparent that she was pregnant. pregnant yeah. And that's when she gave birth to her son, Michael. Michael. And then she talks about how much that baby meant to Sharon. That yeah. that was like the best thing that ever happened to her, that she truly loved this baby. Like that was her everything. All right. So this is when you meet, it's Michelle. And I don't know how to say her last name. It's like, C-U-P-P-L-E-S. Oh, yeah, because I was, yeah. Couples. Couples. We'll say that. Couples. Um, she was the babysitter for Michael. So she was 15 at the time. And this her, this hit me because she talks about little baby Michael and how mm-hmm. he put his head against your head and, like, he would do, like, a forehead thing. My baby does that. Yeah. So I was just angry at this point. But yeah. anyway. I, I'm uh, angry, too. Um, she talks about, like, she was about a city block away and that Sharon and Michael... And, excuse me, it was Tanya at the time, but it is Sharon. Yeah, it was Sharon. 
She was Tanya Mm-mm. then. When she, no, no, she, she was, was Sharon. She okay, was so Sharon. Sharon was he? He was still Clarence. He was Clarence. still dad. Okay, that's what was confusing me. So Sharon, Clarence, and Michael lived in a trailer, a one one bath, two bedroom. She said that Sharon had the back bedroom. Michael had the front little room, and then Clarence slept on the pull-a-bit, like fold-out couch. She said that it was a normal trailer, like nothing was weird. The only thing that she thought was weird is the baby didn't have a crib, that he had a pack-and-play. I don't really find that super odd. No. Because, I mean, you use what you can use. Right. And even though she is making decent money as a stripper... Yeah. She doesn't have control over that money? No, I don't think she ever got No, she straight up did not have control, because if you'll... Like, Heather even talks about how he would sit in the truck yeah. and wait for her to come out. Yeah. He took that money right then. Yeah. I think sure. she only had it on her in the club. Yeah. Um, so she talks about how one to three times a week, like, they didn't have a lot of family. They didn't have any family. And they only had, like, a couple of friends. And that a Cheryl, oh, what was her last name? Comesso? Comesso. That she was another dancer at Mons Venus and that she would come around like one to three times a week. And she said she remembered her because she would drive this red, like this Corvette. Yeah. It shows a red Corvette. She never says it's red. She just says a really nice Corvette. Right. Into the trailer park. She would come by and like wave at her. And she said when she was younger, that was just like, oh, yeah. oh she's so beautiful and she's recognizing me. So it was, it, she, she loved it. Her. Yeah. Um, she wanted to be a model. The Cheryl Comesto did. So it cut, it's Michelle still talking. And she says one time that her and I guess Clarence were watching wrestling because she said they were watching wrestling. They were putting in the tape to record it. And when they put in the tape to play it, she saw a video of Sharon and Cheryl on the beach topless. Um, she said that she remembers just staring at it being like, is that is he recording his own daughter? Like, right. is that what I'm seeing here? Right. She said that. Clarence told her just like shut her mouth. She didn't see it, and she said she kind of like made an excuse like my curfew's up. I gotta go and yeah. bolted out. Yeah. So Cheryl talks about how um, no Heather talks about how Cheryl comes in. They'd all heard about the video at the club, and Heather was mad at Cheryl for this. Mm-hmm. Cheryl says that Warren told her he was recording her and was going to submit her video to Playboy because she was going to be a star and he was going to help her. Right. And she stated that he tried to have sex with her. She tried to fight him off and he became violent. Right. Heather talks about just being mad and saying that, you know, I can't, this is what bothered me. She kept saying, I can't protect you from them. I can't protect you from them. She repeats it in the documentary. And them is Sharon and Clarence. Right. And I don't think that Sharon was ever someone that she needed to protect Cheryl from. No, I don't think so either. But I think Heather saw him as one and the same. Maybe. And I guess that's my issue with her. Yeah. Because she goes on to talk about they all knew something was wrong. Like, they all could tell something was wrong with Sharon. They were trying to get her away from Clarence. But I don't know that they were. I agree. I, I think it's just you, what something she's saying now. That's my personal opinion. Right. But the next thing, um, you know, um, Sharon and her dad are just gone. They just bounce. They just up and out. They never, she said she didn't really know why that they assumed it's because there was so much talk about them and like trying to get Sharon away and that kind of thing. And their weird relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and they were just like, well, that's why. And 
they knew even trying to get Sharon away from Clarence was impossible because he had Michael and she wasn't leaving Michael. Right. So then it cuts back to 19 something. I don't remember. It's back to Jenny. It's back to Jenny. Yeah. And she's talking about when they were younger and that one time she wanted to sleep over at, at that point, Sharon. Sharon's house. It's still Sharon. I keep it's getting confused. Sharon. She wanted to sleep over at Sharon's house. Her dad always said no. Right. But her mo- his dad was out of town. Her mom's like, I will let you. Just don't tell your dad. Right. She goes over to Sharon's house. She said, like, they walk in and they're looking. They pull out the drawer. They're getting ready to change. And they pull out, like, her top drawer. And there's, like, all of these, like, really sexy lingerie in the top. And she's like, why do you have these? And Sharon's right. like, oh, daddy buys them for me. And she's like, why? And she's like, oh, they're just pretty. I just put them in here, you know. Kind of just blew it off. Right. She said they were in mid-change, like completely undressed in their undergarments when Clarence Warren at the time, he was Warren Marshall then, came busting into the room asking them what they're doing. Right. And I want to make a note here. They didn't have doors. Yeah, there wasn't a door. It was like a... They only had curtains. Yeah. Hanging in the doorways. So that is red, 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 red flag. Yeah. So she says he comes in there... Screaming at him and then says he'll be back, leaves out. She said they get dressed and he comes back in. I think he had a gun at that point. He still had the gun, yeah. Was it at both times? Both times. Okay, so yeah. he came back in with the gun, tells Jenny to put a pillow, over, lay down and put a pillow over her head. And then she claims that he raped Sharon at gunpoint. She says that they don't talk anymore that night. The next morning they get up. Sharon hugs Jenny, tells her, Daddy's just like that. You're okay. I'm okay. Let's just forget about it. Right. And then Jenny never told anybody. Because she was scared. I just. She's 15. No. No, We look at it as, you know, grown people. But I don't know. I would be. She talks about it changed everything about her. And to me. You think somebody should have picked up on something going on? I I just don't know. I 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 can't sit here and say that that didn't happen. Yeah. I will sit here and say that's a lot. It's a lot and you never told anyone for all these years like and it you witnessed it. Right. And also why are you still alive? Right. Right. Like, you don't know how lucky you are. Right. And I would want to tell because I would be afraid that he would want to change his mind at some point. And come get me. Right. I'm I'm different. I don't know. I I don't know. But that's what she says. Now, I just want to point out several little things right here. Um, I think that Sharon was human trafficked. I think she was being trafficked even in high school. I think she was pimping her out. Yeah. I think he was selling her for sex. Well, I know he did it at when she was old enough to be at the strip club. I don't clubs. think he was. I think he kept her as his own at you this time. So? Yeah, because I think he's a predator. So I think at this age, he was the most appealing to her. Like all of this time. Yeah. She was the most appealing for him. Potentially. So I don't think that he would share at, at that point. point. Only when she got older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think he's he's a creeper. Oh, yeah, for sure. So... Um, it cuts to 
Fitzpatrick again. Fitzpatrick doing his stuff, and he starts talking about really Floyd's childhood and like the violence and the pattern of abuse that he went through. Yeah, but before that, well, that's this is when it gets there. Yeah, but they found a picture while investigating mm -hmm. of Floyd and Sharon. From the late 1970s. Yeah, so when he starts digging into Floyd, they find a neighbor who knew Floyd back in the, I guess, 1970s. And there's this, y'all, it's the saddest looking picture of this little girl. Like, she just looks... She looks, what, four or five? I think she's five. Yeah, about five is what they figured out. Yeah. And that in the picture, they said it's like classic abuse. Like, you can see she's looking at the camera. She's not smiling. She looks very just dejected and just like whatever. Sad and scared at the same time. Right. And they... They worked up the timeline. So she's about five in this picture. During that time, Franklin would have been incarcerated. So there's no way that this child, which is Sharon in the picture, right. is Franklin's biological child. Right. So that's when Fitzpatrick figured out that Sharon had been kidnapped. And who is she? And who is she? Because that's not her real name. Nope. So, guess what, y'all? Join us next week to find out the rest of the story. For the continuation. For the continuation of the girl in the picture. This is a, a lot. This one's a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, and like I like to tell you guys, like, oh, we're like... We're done. Like, there's only, like, three. No, there's still so much. There's still so, so, so much. Um, so that's why we decided we're going to split this into two parts. The, two parts on the documentary. Yeah. And then one deep dive episode. Yeah. That might end up being two parts. Because when I tell you it's a lot, it's a lot. Yeah. We'll just are, have to see. What are the books? You can go ahead and tell them. You don't know the books? Okay. I don't remember. I know one... Um, is A Beautiful Child. A Beautiful Child. That's the one I remember. I and don't then remember the, other the one, second. Finding Sharon. Finding Sharon. Okay. So if you... I know we have some listeners that are very avid, razor, avid readers. I yes. I can get that out. Maybe if you're interested... They're available on Kindle for $6. There you go. Because <laughs> I, I truly want to read... I think Finding Sharon, because that's the second. That's the second. And that's more of the conclusion of what you're going to get next week. Yeah. So, Coffee Breakers, this is a lot. Yeah, this one's crazy. It is. But, with that being said, we absolutely wanted to give you uh, at least a little coffee break this week. Yes. Um, and, and just, I want you guys to know how much we appreciate you listening. Um, seriously, you make our days. Mm -hmm. um, appreciate it. Please follow, subscribe, whatever it is on like, the platform. share. Yeah. Follow us on TikTok. We got to get our TikTok followers up. I don't understand what's going on on TikTok. I'm trying my best. Where are y'all at? Yeah. Um, take a coffee break and chill. Mm -hmm. Crazy lady holding a coffee cup. Yes. Um, Instagram, Facebook. You can email us at coffeebreakandchill2024 at gmail.com. You can also message me on Facebook, uh, TikTok, the gram, the Twitter, all of it. Yes. Um, if you feel so inclined, you can support us. Um, voice messages, too. Yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> you can also send us a voice message if you listen to us on Spotify. Okay. Or, or it doesn't necessarily have to be Spotify. If you'll just look in the show notes, 
um, or, or the show description. It's all called different things on different platforms. Okay. But there should be a description. If you'll look at that, it, it will say send a voice message. And you just click that link. It'll take you over here to Spotify, and you can leave us a voice message. Awesome. Yep. Super cool. You know how I know? I did it. Because I actually listen to us, believe it or not, on um, Google Podcast. Hmm. So. Very cool. So I, I'm trying to figure out how all the platforms work so I can give you better instructions on what to do. But we appreciate you guys. Shout out to Violent Ivy Boutique, Lavender and Spice Boutique, uh, SKD Creations, Dirty Little Soaps Company, and Ink Coffee. Y'all have a good one. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.